The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. I wonder what it would feel like to be as fit and healthy as some people are. I just watched the movie The Game Changers. In fact, I watched it three times. And I looked at those beautiful bodies and those people who really love sports and athletics and obviously sweating. And I thought, well, that has not been me in this lifetime. But what even I have in common with the super bodies is that we eat the same foods. And you know what? We're all doing pretty darn well. Hi, I'm Victoria Moran, and I am your host for the Main Street Vegan Program. I'm so happy that you have chosen to spend time with us today, and oh my goodness, I know why, because our guest today is none other than Dr. Joel Furman. I think that when you talk with people outside of the vegan plant-based world and you're just talking with, you know, your in-laws and whoever came to visit on Thanksgiving because all their relatives were out of town, if you start talking about doctors in our world, Dr. Joel Furman is likely to be the one that they know about too because he's done PBS specials. He has had six New York Times best-selling books, and we know him also, of course, as a board-certified family physician and nutritional researcher. He has been in this for decades, believe me. I met him over 30 years ago. His dietary and nutritional protocols to reverse disease include online nutritional services at drfurman.com and his new super exciting residential retreat program with 30 to 90 day stays for the reversal of serious illness and to achieve dramatic and permanent weight loss out there in sunny San Diego. Welcome, Dr. Joel Furman. Oh, thank you. Great to be here. 
Good to well, talk to you. It's a pleasure to have you because people get so confused. And then you come on and some of the other wonderful doctors come on and we get clarity for a while until we start looking at too many websites or watching too much TV and then we get confused again and you guys have to come back. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you for doing this today. I did mention that I've known you since the mid-1980s, and I have two questions in regard to that longevity. The first one is, in all this time, with all the information, all the millions spent on research, how have we as a society become healthier, or have we? You know, individual... Um, components or individual parts of society or peoples have become healthier. But as a whole, our society has continued to have a growing waistline, increased number of people becoming diabetic, the same number of people dying of heart attacks. We have an extended human lifespan in this country. So we believe it or not, we have approximately 70% of people over the age of 65 still die of heart attacks and strokes. So that hasn't changed at all in spite of using some more statin drugs. And so we haven't seen any significant improvement in human health. It, it, there's more people that are watching their diet, but that's still a, a relatively smaller number of people. That's certainly what I see just looking around in, in the world, even though I'm surrounded by a lot of people who are, are very interested in health. So my next question is, what are you personally teaching today that's different from what you were teaching 30 years ago? Um, well, you know, I, I have a greater understanding today of the psychological difficulties impairing people's ability to eat healthfully and keep their weight off permanently. I think what I teach differently today is I pay more attention to their, I, I guess, to all the factors that have led them to make the wrong choices in life. You know, I've always been talking about the physical nature of food addiction and how food addiction makes it difficult for people to control their caloric intake and people become calorie consuming monsters when they don't eat enough nutrients. And it's always been about perfecting the diet, try to enable people to be able to control their ravenous appetites because when they don't eat healthy, they build up so much toxic waste products that they feel fatigued and weak when they're detoxing and, they don't, they, and they're not eating all the time. The, when you eat, it stops the body from cleaning itself and repairing and doing detox. And when you eat, you feel better because it's like a stimulant. And then when you stop eating and stop digesting, you feel ill and you, gotta, and you, don't, you can't concentrate on your work. You're starting to feel a little bit shaky or anxious, a little bit of headache or a little bit uneasy or a little bit fatigued and you eat and you feel better, so you think that's hunger. So the, high, the, the attention to micronutrient adequacy um, gets rid of that. And I've been talking about that for decades. But lately, even when you, for some people, they know what they're supposed to do, they've learned the information, but they still don't do it, can't do it, and won't do it. So I think where I've changed the most is putting more work and time into the psychological aspects and, and having to counsel people and motivate them and how they see the world differently and how to and change their attitude about life and their gratitude for the wonderful beauty and wonder of, of nature and of food and of and what are the factors that drive them to be irritated or look for food for solace and um, so I, I think that we've come to a better psychological um, program and 
added benefits to them that can help them feel good about themselves and feel good about their way they're eating and be able to enjoy this way of eating more and not have psychological and emotional difficulties that will cause them to fall back and use food as a crutch. I am so happy to hear you say that because I got into the health side of this whole thing because of food addiction. And I guess I was a couple of years into recovery from that when when we met. But mm-hmm. without without the the inner part, and which for me came through a twelve step program for uh, compulsive overeaters, mm-hmm. I could not have done the food, even when I was trying so hard to to go vegan for ethical reasons that I wanted to because I cared about these animals and I would still fall off the wagon in my addiction. So to hear you say that that is an important part of what you're doing with people just really warms my heart. So let's talk, I I usually wait till kind of the end to talk about people's programs and, and what they're doing, but because it's so much what you were just talking about, helping people through all these things physically and psychologically, Give, give us a look into the Eat to Live retreat. Well, oh, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's so beautiful here. I mean, you know what I mean? It's like I was so lucky to find this, these properties that are almost in the middle of the nature preserve. I mean, it's called Lusardi Creek Nature Preserve, you know, about a half hour north of San Francisco. But you look out the window here and you just see rolling hills. You don't even see any other houses. It's just like a natural, you know, natural um, hills and valleys. And then you then in the distance, you see some houses like a couple of miles away because we have a big like 500 acre park right next door to us. I have a sand volleyball court, a saltwater pool, you know, hiking trails. You can bike around here with no traffic and no fumes and no fear of being hit by a car. And and it's just, a, and the views you know, over the over the valley, over the, you know, over the sunset, and the, it's just gorgeous here. Such a great place to relax. But the, but I think the main thing is, is is getting the right type of staff. Where my my with people that work here, uh, the team I have working here with people, whether it's just the the chefs that are so warm and teach and teach and and make such and teach people how to make food taste so great that's healthy for you too, and the ability to have the microgreens and the sprouts and the and the soil we grow our own vegetables made from like the you know the, the great natural composted jungle you know needles and leaves and and um, earthworm castings and bat guano and natural no no fertilizers and no no um commercial um no commercial manures that can be contaminated. So it's just the quality of the soil and the fruit trees and the exotic fruits we grow in the trees and looking out of the tropical, um, you know, so it's all just a wonderful place for healing. But of course, with the chefs and I have a great trainer, you know, who helps the people with exercises. We have the saltwater pool for water aerobics for people, you know, we have the, um, in other words, a lift for people who can't go down the stairs. We can put them in the pool to need to do water therapy. And then, of course, we have the great mis- people who do the therapeutic body work for people like who have like fibromyalgia or musculoskeletal pain. Another thing is that, you know, when you feed a person real healthy and you flood their body with all these nutrients, it helps reduce their inflammation. But if their muscles are contracted and tight, then oxygen and the nutrients can't get into the tissues, can't release the lactic acid isn't going to release the muscle spasm and the nodules from nutrition alone. So we combine that with this type of therapeutic neuromuscular therapy where we're like 
um, compressing and releasing the muscles that are tight to allow the nutrients to get into the tissues, it makes people able to make full recoveries from th- some things like fibromyalgia and body pains. Where the you know, and so in other words, we're enabling the 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 nutrients and the food to get into the tissues it needs to get. And when you combine the two, that's another thing that adds in the efficacy. So the good soil, the high quality food, the body work. And then of course, we're talking about the psychological counseling. They're, they're getting the lectures, the information about nutrition, the information about cooking, but also the information about, about how to be a happier person and how to, um, and all, all the, um, the classes, group classes or, group counseling or individual counseling, and just everything they're working together. So when they leave here, they really can tackle life better. They don't have the obstacles that interfere with their ability, not just to eat this way, but to be as happy as they could possibly be and really get the most out of life. So, so by, by, you know, and it seems like a lot of time to spend here, 30 to 90 days, and I'm encouraging people to stay for two or three months, you know, but but for people who have a lot of issues and are overweight or diabetic or have heart disease or have you know something like psoriatic arthritis or people come in with lupus or fibromyalgia, we see that a lot of these people, if they just stayed you know two, three, four weeks, it wouldn't be enough. They wouldn't have really been able to leave and really been able to stay with it as good. You know, for example, I had an, one person who came in here. She was drinking six glasses of whiskey a day. And it's kind of like her family pushed her in to be here. Plus, of course, drinking soda, eating unhealthy and overweight and sickly. And the first month she was here, irritable, and, you know, annoyed by everything, hated being here, always complaining she was going to leave. And which we said, you know, we were she was free to leave, of course. But by the time she spent after two months here, she loved it here. She loved the food. Her whole personality. She came a bit different. She came a completely different person with a different personality. Having fun, smiling, you know, appreciate, you know, telling jokes, laughing. It was amazing how wow. Well, this was the same person that showed up at our door, you know, th- two months ago, and it's the fact that she stayed the full three months would have, you know, was going to change the rest of her rest of her life, you know, because she was so addicted to these substances, because the addictions to food and alcohol were sucking the life out of her. You know what I mean? It was like it, those addictions were destroying her life. She needed to be here, and even though it's not a drug addiction center, you know, you know that food addiction kills more people than drug addiction and alcohol addiction combined. Yes. It's, you know, and, and nobody's working with these people, and nobody's helping these people, and it's just, and, and, and it's ubiquitous. I mean, everybody has a degree of food addiction, and you know, the more you're an addict, the more you can't be a caring person, and you can't be the full intellectual, creative, happy person you can be, because your life is driven by your need to meet your addictive substances, whether it be food or drug, the more you're an addict, you can steal, you can cheat, you can be mean, you can do anything as if you, because filling your need for your addictive substances becomes before anything else. And it takes away your creative side of your brain. You, you become, so the, so these addicts and whether you're a food addict, you know, the more they're addicted, the more it makes it even hard for them to even want to be here. But those are the people that need it the most. But it's amazing how, how being an addict is like being in a prison and the, and with some, with some professional help, these people can get their lives back, get healthy again, lose their fear and become more content with their own lives too. Wow. And, and who they are as a person too. You know? Yes. Oh, that sounds life saving and, and life changing. So I goofed in the beginning. I said the wrong San out there in California. So you said North of San Francisco. No, did bit. I say San Francisco? Yeah, I'm you said San Francisco. Oh, I'm, no, I'm north of San Diego. San Diego. 
San Diego. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we're back down San Diego, in the sunny and we're spot. here in half hour. So it's okay. like beautiful here all year. It's like it's never too hot in the It's like not too cold in the winter and not too hot in the summer. We're in this valley where we get a beautiful breeze from the ocean. So it's like that's why we came here because people can come here and they can have great weather all year round, you know. Oh, that's so cool. So to find out about that, drfurman.com, D-R-F-U-H-R-M-A-N.com, and just click on the tab that says retreat, and we will put that, of course, in the show notes at mainstreetvegan.net. So do you do fasting supervision out there, or is this just lifestyle? Well, I would say that um, probably 19 out of 20 people coming here wouldn't do any fasting because mm-hmm. they're here really, because fasting is not appropriate when a person is um, diabetic and overweight and food addiction. We really, we want to teach them how to eat properly and how they, so they can completely develop the expertise in how to cook the food, what to eat for lunch and dinner, so they can replicate, come up with their business plan, go home and duplicate this perfectly when they go home. And they're dropping about, some people are dropping 20, some people, this person here now, who just have the free of the first month, just dropped 30 pounds the first month, eating good amounts of food, you know? So in other words, when you fast a person, there's, you know, you don't really, there's more chance of recidivism going off the diet after they, but however, I do see some people here with lupus and rheumatoid arthritis who I need to fast a little bit just to enable, so I have them come in, I wean them off their drugs, or I wean them off the drugs before they came here, they ate for a while here, I fasted them a little bit just to expedite the immune system's ability not to flare up again when I'm stopping the drug. And then I can, so I do utilize fasting therapeutically and conservatively and not putting people on long fast, but I can fast them a little while, feed them a little bit, maybe fast them a little longer if their start, inflammation starts to come back a little bit again. So I try to accomplish what we need to accomplish without fasting them too long, but occasionally I use that as a therapeutic modality to, to aid in the resolution of the symptoms. Well, this brings up one of the questions that someone wrote in and wanted me to ask you, and that was, what do you think of intermittent fasting? Well... Um, you know, we serve breakfast here at eight in the morning and we serve dinner here at five. So people have finished eating by 5.30, 5.45. What I'm saying right now is that it's, it's, it is longevity promoting. That's that a little secret they learn that it helps their metabolism. It helps their, you know, their metabolic profile, meaning better triglycerides, better blood glucose. It helps healing. It helps losing weight. Everything's better when you have that minimum of 13 hours, but preferably 14 hours between the end of dinner and the start of breakfast, which some people call time-restricted eating. Some people call intermittent fasting. There's other types of intermittent fasting. But that's what we teach people is don't eat a heavy dinner. Don't go to sleep on a full stomach. Eat your dinner earlier. If you're getting home late from work and you can't eat an early dinner, then eat a light dinner. Just have some fruit or a glass of juice. Don't sleep with a big stomach of food because it's the healing, because healing is intensified during rest and sleep. And the healing is intensified during rest and sleep when you're not having, you're not digesting food. There shouldn't be food refluxing up and down your digestive tract when you are, you know, when you're sleeping at night. What I'm saying right now is that it's, it's extra beneficial to not eat before bedtime rather than eating late at night and then skipping breakfast to make your 13 or 14 hour window. Some people just eat late at night and they skip breakfast. That's not giving you the full benefit of intermittent fasting. 
because your body is more metabolically active in the morning. So you, we're talking about stacking the calories earlier in the day, easing off on calories later in the day, going to sleep on an empty stomach. And if you call up that intermittent fasting, which I then, then that's what I want people to do. Okay, sounds good. So since we've started on the uh, questions people sent in, let me just continue down the list with those. Osteoporosis, osteoporosis. People are very concerned about this, and they seem to be getting some mixed messages with their uh, practitioners and what they're reading. Can you tell us what you know? Well, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, we could do an hour and a half on that alone, but let's talk about a few of the issues that we'll be making. Then you can maybe ask me some more questions. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, number one, I want people to, to, in their mind, never look at the term osteoporosis by itself, but always put it along with sarcopenia because sarcopenia is, means the loss of muscle strength and muscle mass with, with aging. And you lose muscle and bone grows together. So when a person is like a body, a power lifter, a bodybuilder lifting heavy weights, their muscles don't get bigger on little chicken bones. Their bones get bigger as the muscle get bigger. And the muscle strength is proportional to the density and size of the bone as well. So, so when you have, um, when you develop, when you're not physically fit and when you're not strong, your muscles get, your bones get weaker. And when you get stronger, your bones get more dense along with the extra increase in strength. So there's different types of osteoporosis. I mean, some people's osteoporosis could be from vitamin D deficiency, and it's important not to be vitamin D deficient. Um, and, you know, K2 might be helpful. Eating too much animal protein could be negative. Losing too much muscle mass, being, you know, in other words, as women age, they may, and men too, but more women, they may be losing muscle mass, losing bone mass, losing the digestive capacity to digest protein as effectively, and not digesting calcium as well. So the protein bioavailability of their diet may go down, which further reinforces the loss of muscle mass. That's where, like the nutritarian diet I recommend, is we pay attention to protein quality. In other words, people are eating green vegetables, beans, hemp seeds, soybeans, black beans, peas. We're not just living on a diet of like rice, like a macrobiotic diet or mostly white potato. And you know, we actually have a nice variety of protein rich sources in the plant kingdom of whole foods. And that's what the seven day Adventist studies, especially the seven day Adventist health study two showed. It showed that as people ate more animal protein in their diet, their risk of death increased. But as they were on vegan or vegetarian diets, as they had better quality and better um, and a higher protein adequacy in their vegan diets with the use of green vegetables, beans, seeds, nuts, and they actually had increased longevity. What I'm saying right now is more high protein plant food in your diet enhances longevity and bone mass. And because we are IGF-1, which is favorable on a vegan diet, could drop too low in some of those vegan diets that are too starch or carbohydrate based with not, with, and they're not using enough bean or nut or seeds and then a green or even greens to get the, what I'm saying right now is that, you know, a macrobiotic type, some vegan diets may be haphazardly designed and may not be that adequate for a toddler or for the elderly. 
Whereas your, your body, because when you're a toddler and growing, you may need more calories and more protein and more fat. And when you're elderly, over the age of 75 or 80, you may need more, a little more protein and more calcium more uh, in your diet. And But you get that on a nutritarian diet because we're paying attention to the, the, the quality of adding, you know, adding the nuts and seeds, adding the beans, adding the greens, adding the broccoli, adding the peas, adding the quinoa, adding the, we're doing all the things with the right variety of, of high nutrient plant foods to get the full protein protein adequacy that can be okay, adequate for a person, even an elderly person who has a tendency to be frail or to lose weight or to lower, lower muscle mass. So we're talking about the fact that it does help to pay attention to nutritional um, excellence, not just to be willy-nilly on, on a plant-based diet. And for some people, especially women, their ability to absorb calcium could be reduced as they age especially over the age of 80. And when women start to develop osteoporosis or osteopenia, we do give them a little bit of, make sure their vitamin D is adequate, make sure they're taking K2, and give them a little bit of extra food-based calcium in a small dose with meals, not a high dose of calcium at one time, like the medical profession has advocated for years, where people are taking like 1,000 milligrams of calcium, where you take it all at once, you only absorb a little bit, and the, flow, the spike of calcium in the bloodstream could have a negative effect and even increase calcium depositions and not be, but a little bit of extra calcium to compensate for the loss of bioavailability and absorption of calcium with aging is helpful for, for women with this problem. And I'm also saying that once you perfect the diet and all those things, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to build back bone if you lost bone already. Because that, because you're only going to build bone back if you do the right type of exercises. So we teach people the right type of exercises, the right type of balance, side, moving side to side, the proprioception type of exercises. Because when people get hurt with a hip fracture, they don't fall forwards or backwards. They fall to the side. And we want to teach them those motions with hopping and skipping and hopping and stepping to the side and back in again. We, so we, and we want to use some exercises that require people actually to maybe hold some heavy weights in a standing position and maybe only with their knees only an inch or two bent. So we're, there's, in other words, we're combining the physical modalities, the right type of exercise, the right type of nutrition, the judicious use of supplements if needed, and of course, to make sure that people don't put themselves at higher risk of this issue. Well, that sounds so sane. Now, when you talked about the small amounts of calcium, and you did say this was from food, and if so, what foods? Well, what, what I'm saying is they're eating calcium from the nat from the diet they're eating. Of course, they're eating calcium, good calcium from the from the diet. But I'm giving them a little extra supplemental calcium if they have osteoporosis, a food-based calcium supplement that's only contains about a hundred about two hundred milligrams of calcium. Um, not 2,000 milligrams of calcium, not 1,000 milligrams, not even 500, just about 200 added with a few of the meals. So we're giving them a little extra calcium to make up for the loss of a calcium absorptive capacity with aging that is, is, that is exacerbated in some women, and especially those that are prone to osteoporosis. Right. And there must be a lot of that because there's just been so much conversation we have. Uh, and everybody listening, you need to join the Main Street Vegan Podcast listeners group on Facebook. But there's certainly been a lot of conversation there. So thank you so much for shedding some light on this subject. Everybody, I'm talking today with Dr. Joel Furman. You can find him at drfurman.com. 
And if you want to go out to his amazing retreat, you just click on the tab that says retreat and everybody else stay with us. We're going to be answering your questions about choline and vitamin K2 and white potatoes. Stay with us. We will be back. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody, and I do invite you to visit MainStreetVegan.net and find out everything that goes on there. We have a program in New York City, Main Street Vegan Academy, where you can come and in six days of instruction with amazing experts and luminaries in the vegan and plant-based world, you will leave with a certificate as a vegan lifestyle coach and educator. I knew I was on the right track with Main Street Vegan Academy when after the first class, somebody said to me, second to having my children, this is the best thing I've ever done. And she was the first of many to say just that. So do take a look at the Academy and the blog and everything else going on there. And also, of course, visit our guests site, drfurman.com. We are so honored today to be speaking with the inimitable Dr. Joel Furman. And we were just going through questions that you have, have written in or brought up on the uh, Main Street Vegan podcast listeners Facebook group. Uh, and so we're just moving right along with those. Dr. Furman, you mentioned vitamin K2, and that is something that people have actually asked about. What is it? Why didn't we know about it before? And doesn't vitamin K come in vegetables? What's the deal with K2? Um, you know, I always, we get tons of vitamin K in vegetables. As a matter of fact, the RDI for vitamin K, I think, is about 150 micrograms. And through a nutritarian diet, high in, you know, we eat salad every day, we eat vegetable and bean soup, we eat beans, we get so much vitamin K, we probably get more than 1,000 milligrams, micrograms of vitamin K a day. And what I'm saying is that is, is the diet having excess K? Is that K too much? Is it, what is the body doing with that? And I'm saying, no, it's the RDI is too low. It's that these extra nutrients are utilized to stabilize our stem cells with aging and help our body with live longer. In other words, the body triages nutrients. When it doesn't get enough nutrients, it uses what it has for its immediate and urgent needs, but it, then it'll, it'll sacrifice your future longevity and your future health of cells that it needs to be maintained for your later life sustenance. It'll do what it, it it'll sacrifice for its reproductive and urgent needs so you're not sick right now, so you can still function, but then you're not gonna live as long. What I'm saying is we benefit from the extra vitamin K and all those other phytonutrients and vegetables. And we benefit when we eat baby greens and we have a lot of greens in our diet. But um, the amount of ability, the ability of the body to convert K1 into K2 through the bacterial action in the gut or through the fermentation of certain foods is somewhat limited. And different people genetically limited in the conversion of K1 to K2. And K2 is just has a lot of data in the scientific literature showing that being able to take some K2 um, is not only protective of bone strength, 
but also prevents calcifications from developing in the body in areas where it shouldn't develop, like osteoarthritic calcifications. So I think at this point, it looks like K2 is something that's beneficial to supplement, not something necessarily going to keep you feeling better right now, but may by supplementing it through your middle ages through and later life, it may help your bone mass and have you better bone protection as we age. So yes, I do recommend that and not, not a huge dose, but, um, but it's something the scientific literature seems to suggest that is helpful. Um, but you know, and it may, the research may show something different in years to come, meaning that maybe that some people do convert enough and make enough on their own and others don't. We'll have be able to measure that in the future and ascertain which people may need to. But at this point, there's no such tests available. So we don't really know if, which people need K2 and which don't, but because it, it's harmless and, and, it's, um, and the extra, you know, so we give a low dose. Okay. Sounds excellent. Now, here's uh, another question about supplementing. Um, a mother of two teenage girls was wondering if she needs to supplement her vegan daughters with choline. Well, you know, um, people, two things. Don't underestimate how, how important and healthy beans are in your diet. Beans protect against cancer. They're rich in protein. They give people, they control your appetite. They're just a great food. And soybeans are a miracle food. When I'm talking about whole soybean, I'm not talking about tofu or soy milk. I'm talking about edamame, tempeh, or dried soybeans that you soak overnight and make into a chili or a soup or just cook the soybeans and put them on your salad. What I'm saying right now is that soybeans, their protein richness is really good for people, especially to build muscle and bone and to prevent osteoporosis, number one. Number two, the genistein those estrogen-like compounds in soybeans protect the bones, stimulate bones, estrogen receptors, maintaining bone mass with aging. And number three, they have anti-estrogenic effects on the breast tissue. So while the the estrogen-like compounds in soy is able to have anti-estrogen effects, blocking estrogen stimulation of breast tissue, protecting against breast cancer, while there's pro-estrogenic effects on the bone mass, preventing osteoporosis, and also it's rich in choline. So what I'm, because the question was about choline, and I'm saying, well, beans have choline, greens have choline, nuts and seeds have choline. Choline isn't the limiting amino acid on a, isn't the limiting, you know, substance on a nutritarian diet or a, or a, or a vegan diet. You get enough choline. The main amino acid that you're low in is usually taurine, not choline anyway. But in any case, if you're concerned about that or you, th- you know, then have some soybeans. And I'm saying right now that it looks as as beans go the whole intact soybean is probably the most anti-cancer bean you can eat. While soybean gets a bad rap, and while it's not good to eat soy-based foods and soy junk food and isolated soy protein, you know, and soy formulas, and those things may not be healthy, but the basic soybean is is still a superfood. How fascinating. I just walked past some edamame in the store. The other night, I will not walk past next time. So um, someone else was talking about the Pegan diet and said that her doctors recommend this hybrid of paleo-vegan so that you're not having very many beans, a maximum of a cup a day, and uh, including more fats than a lot of our doctors recommend? Where would you come down on something like that? Well, the P in Pegan, you think comes from the word paleo. 
and that means or, you know, so in other words, I don't know, I don't know what the, or is it a keto vegan or what, what but let me say two things regarding to that. One is that when a person narrows their choice of these super, of these really healthy plants, and you eliminate fruit in the diet, let's say you take the fruit out of the diet. Well, removing fruit from the diet increases risk of later life cancer. That pot, sure, vegetables are more protective against cancer, but people who eat vegetables and fruit have less cancer than people who just eat vegetables. When you remove beans from the diet, beans are really protective against cancer. Greens may be even more protective, maybe cruciferous greens, but when you take the beans out of the diet, we see shorter lifespans and higher risk of cancer. When you remove, you know, in other words, the blue zones are areas of the world where people always eat beans and live longer, but the blue zones are an example of the, people, of the best diet because those are people who are eating a healthy diet haphazardly, just happen to be the foods they're eating. It's not scientifically designed like a nutritarian diet. We're actually looking at the food, seeing its impact on anti-cancer effects, its impact on longevity and long-term studies, and utilizing a, a wide variety of these beneficial anti-cancer foods in the diet, whereas a blue zone might only use one or two of them. We can use the, the full variety of anti-cancer foods. I'm talking here now about G-bombs, for example. G-B-O-M-B-S. Greens, beans, onions, mushrooms, berries, and seeds. Beans, you know, when people switch from, let's say, white flour, refined grain or white rice to a whole intact grain, the risk of diabetes might go down to 30%, but if they switch from a whole grain to a bean, the risk of diabetes goes down another 30%, a total of 60%. We're talking here that beans are such a favorable food, and you're not on a keto diet when you take the bean, when you're still having the carbohydrate for beans. What's the what's their point? Are they pegan because they're taking the reducing the beans? What's the point of reducing beans? And also fats, I mean, Certainly nuts and seeds are a whole food that are linked to enhanced longevity, but when you refine the nut and seed and make almond oil, not the almond, sesame oil, not the sesame seed, pistachio oil, when you add just fat to your diet, you're just putting in empty calories. You're not getting the full compensatory tartines and, and, and sterols and stanols and flavor. You're not getting all those beneficial anti-cancer benefits when you take the, refine the oil. What are these crazy people? I, I, you know, there's no nutritional scientist in the world could tell me and could present or even think that eating a processed oil taken from a whole food is more lifespan promoting than eating the whole food in its intact state. There's no way it's ever going to be shown that Pecan oils are healthier than pecans, or coconut oils healthier than coconut. Or it never is going to never can be the case. It's never the case that adding free oil to your diet is going to be better than eating a whole nut or a seed. So that's just um, insanity that makes no scientific or logical sense. If that's what they're saying, it sounds like that's what they're saying. And they also um, mentioned lectins. Can you put that to rest? Yes, lectins are like there are anti-gluten, you know, anti-glutenin or lectins that can cause, you know, binding of platelets and that can have negative effects. And that's why people should not eat beans raw or partially cooked. Beans should be, you know, soaked preferentially, but if not soaked, cooked longer, but still cooked till they're soft. And then it takes away any chance of being harmed by lectins at all. So that's why we cook beans and we don't even, you know, we can sprout mung beans and we can sprout lentils and we can sprout peas, but we don't sprout red kidney beans and azuki beans. We don't sprout those beans because even in the raw form sprouted, the lectins are, their lectins are too high. But one, we cook those beans 
and we make delicious bean soups and we cook them in a water and stews and they're soft and they don't have active lectins in them. And the remaining lectins they have have beneficial effects on strengthening, but the dangerous lectins are, are, are destroyed with cooking. And the other lectins that remain have beneficial effects on bone mass and have anti-cancer effects. There's no negative effect from eating the lectins in beans when you have well-cooked beans. But some people have gotten sick from beans because they haven't cooked them. And they're eating beans that are really hard and still too, and still too half-cooked. And that, of course, is a good thing not to do. Makes sense. So just uh, before we finish up here with the questions people are asking, what about other supplements, particularly for children and teens? Uh, on a good, healthy, all-plant diet, uh, you've mentioned the K2 and vitamin D. Anything else? Well, you know, I, well, certainly we all aware we should take a nice hefty dose of B12, a little higher yes. than the RBI because yes. we... We were only taking it one time. We're not eating like an, every meal, so we take a, a good, good enough dose. And then, um, and you know, in my practice over the last thirty years, I've seen people paralyzed from B twelve, and I've seen a couple of people die of B twelve deficiency. Vegans, I've seen some. You know, I know you're in the same world as me, and I've seen a person who came here with a high, came to me with a high homocysteine due to B twelve deficiency, and died of. Um, heart disease who refused to take B12 even when I, after I identified how severe the deficiency was, refused to take it that said, you know, Dr. Shelton said I didn't have to take B12. So he didn't, didn't oh. take, you know, I mean, one of those things, you know, I mean, it was, but in any case, um, I have witnessed, I've taken care of the natural hygiene community and those elderly people for many years. And I've seen some horror stories there, but anyway, um, you only absorb about 20% of the zinc in plants and you do develop some zinc absorption de diminishing as people age. And we know that in some studies, using zinc supplements reduce the risk of pneumonia as improves immune system function as people age. Iodine is also something that you could be borderline low in if you're not having any seafood. Um, we're not using iodinated salt, and if you're not using any seaweed, you know, like, like um, kelp or other seaweeds in your diet, if you would do, you know, so, maybe iodine is, is wise to supplement with. So, and then certainly um, our ability to convert ALA into EPA and DHA does vary considerably for, from person to person. And some people who are poor converters are, are would protecting their, later, their brain in later life from DHA deficiency. My experience has been seeing some super really healthy long-term natural hygienists and vegans you know, living in their 90s, but getting demented, losing their memory. And when checked on a blood test, their DHA level was non-existent. And as you know, Dr. Shelton had Parkinson's disease. Kiki Sidwa had Parkinson's disease. Um, other people we know jointly, not to mention their names, they don't want their names mentioned. People in the vegan movement developed Parkinson's disease who were eating super healthy diets. And when I checked those people, their DHA was very low. And, and I didn't really think that there was any relation between DHA and Parkinson's disease until I saw so many people develop it who were eating so super healthfully. But I, it seems that in the animal studies, in the, in the primate studies, that DHA deficiency can DHA deficiency um, could enhance your sensitivity to certain toxins in the environment that could damage the brains with the brain with aging. So I'm I'm a little cautious because of having observed um, people developing problems, neurological problems with aging. So I do recommend vegans either check their blood test for DHA adequacy or take a DHA a, a supplement of DHA as well. So we're talking here about. Um, I do recommend I design a supplement 
that has like that's made in from glass and kept refrigerated for freshness. So I do have a you know a, a, a like a multi supplement with what I want people to take, so they don't have to take. They can avoid the folic acid, the vitamin A, the beta carotene. You know all these the B six, all the things people should not be taking that could be risky in supplements, and just take a, a more conservative amount of what what is more sensible to be helpful. And then I and and I do also recommend people take a DHA if they're not going to at least check their blood for adequacy for that. And thank you for that. And and so what's the problem with supplemental B6? Well, when you go to higher levels of B6, we're starting to see some studies that would that um, could have a certain problem with taking to what because you're not getting low B6 on a, on a healthy diet. So it's not something you really need to supplement. I'm not saying a low dose of the supplement is going to cause a problem, but so many people kind of take like 25, 50 milligrams of B6. They're told by their doctors to take it for you know, I, mean, I can help a kidney stone former to take a little bit, but even them, I'm telling, don't take more than like 15 milligrams of B6. Don't go to those, you know, high dose B6 to, that people take with like carpal tunnel syndrome, they use a diuretic. I'm more concerned with the long-term effects later in life of being on too much B6 for long for many years. Okay. All right. Very good. So Dr. Furman, I love your nutritarian approach. I love the word. <laughs> I, I am an ethical vegan, and so I will tell people that I am a vegan nutritarian because I know a lot of people want to say some variation on plant-based, but to me, I love what you've got and what it means. So you want to tell us what it means and describe what a nutritarian diet is? Yeah, I mean, the word nutrients is in there. It means a diet that has an excellent amount of nutrients in it, both in the amount and the breadth, the, making sure you have all, the right amount of every nutrient. You're not gonna, you know, what good, we're giving an example, what good is eating all the kale and strawberries if he's gonna be B12 deficient or your vitamin D is seven? You know, I had a guy, and don't think it doesn't happen when people come in with a vitamin D of seven or, or 10 and their health is destroyed, you know what I mean? So we're just talking about, we pay attention to all these factors. A nutritarian diet, the basic principle, the foundational principle is to maximize human longevity and slow aging the most, with the most proven efficacy, is moderate caloric restriction in the context of micronutrient excellence. So that's this, there's a numerous principles, but that's the basic principle. You know, too much nutrient restriction, you get too thin and frail. Moderate caloric restriction is you have low body fat, but you're still eating enough to maintain adequate muscle and bone mass. And we're not just recreationally eating all the time. We're eating when we're hungry and we're eating instinctually because our diet is so nutrient adequate that we're not driven to consume calories to get nutrients or, to, or for withdrawal symptoms. So in other words, what I'm saying right now is when your diet is nutritionally adequate, you don't need to ec overeat as much. You don't, be, you, get, you don't become that calorie consuming monster. You feel comfortable with what you're eating. So it's eating the right amount of calories. So... Moderate caloric restriction means when you, when you undershoot your calories a little bit, when you eat dinner, a lighter dinner sometimes, when you get making sure you're not getting hungry. When, I know when people say, oh, I'm never hungry. I'm saying if you're never hungry, you're chronically overeating. We got to be hungry a little bit. We got to like stop eating sometimes to get hungry, to make sure we're, to get a feel for the not eating and not overeating all the time. And mm. what I'm saying right now is that moderate caloric restriction, just eating a little less, being hungry a little bit, and skip, you know, skipping some meals, eating lighter dinners, slows the metabolic rate down, which lowers your respiratory quotient, lowers your thyroid a bit, lowers your body temperature a bit, so, because you're, the rate at which you're metabolizing is the rate at which you're aging. 
the battery in it from the flashlight keeps its charge when the flashlight's turned off and speeding up a metabolic rate is not lifespan favorable. So we want a moderately slower metabolic rate so we age slower. And then we, so we're eating a little less intentionally to slow our metabolic rate down. And because the average American thinks it's advantageous to speed the metabolic rate up so they can eat more food and not get fat. But I'm saying what we really want to do is slow our metabolic rate down a little bit so we can eat less food and not get too thin. So in nutrition, we're paying attention to muscle and bone mass. We're having good physical fitness and mental faculties as we age. We're eating a huge variety of healthy plant foods with a lot of greens and a lot of salads to make sure we're getting and utilizing, you know, baby greens, microgreens, sprouts, all the things that enhance nutritional diversity and nutritional concentration of our diets. And it's so delicious. You start eating this stuff and everything else looks like the box it came in. And you know, what I find too is people, when they, they get well, you know, they, they transform their health. And when they learn, when, you know, because I do so much teaching of what's in a mushroom, what is in a berry or a bean, how it affects your biochemistry. And when people start to learn that, they start to have more gratitude for the food. And the people, not just that cooked it, but the people who grew it and picked it, and they start to realize that we are, we're at such a one with nature in a way. We're so appreciative of these foods that have so much natural ability to keep us from diseases. And we don't have to live our life fearful of diseasing, just getting diseased. We know that our, our body is protecting us. Our body is not there to hurt us. Our body is there to, to keep ourselves in great health from life to, to, a later, to, a later, to a long life of, you know, free of medical issues. And we can feel confident and get rid of the fear of disease and the fear of doctors and the dependency on doctors and drugs and, and testing and all this stuff that people wind up with and they think is a normal part of life. Mm. Well, here's the big question, Dr. Furman. The white potato. Some people say it's great to eat. And some people, like yourself, are a little bit less enthusiastic. So tell us your thinking. Well, I'll tell you accurately. Um, number one, it's not the plant food with the most powerful anti-cancer benefits. We know there's a lot of data on the protective effects of whole plant foods. And we know all the foods that show this degree of protection, such as beans and even things like quinoa and, you know, and flax seeds. And, and white potato, unfortunately, is not one of those foods. We want to have mostly on our plate. We want to eat more things with with, with a higher nutrient density. It's a high glycemic carbohydrate linked to increased risk of developing diabetes in overweight people. And even in overweight people who eat potatoes, have a lot of potatoes have a higher risk of rectal cancer because of the glycemic effect of it, of it as well. Now, I'm not saying that a little bit of potato is harmful in a person that's slim and eating healthy, but a lot of the people we see and I take care of are people that are overweight, they're diabetic, they're not eating the best diet, and I need to get them, um, get them as you know, into the in as good shape as I possibly can, and get them off their dangerous medications, their diabetic medications, and they're better off um, utilizing more beans, intact grain, vegetables, nuts and seeds, and not eating too much potato. You know, I make a great cauliflower by mashed potato, by the way, where I take um, cauliflower with a little bit of spinach and and um, 
garlic nutter, which is like um, a little bit of roasted garlic with cashew butter and chopped spinach in there and onion. Make the, and, make it, and I put a little white potato in there. I use those little fingerling potatoes to mix them with the cauliflower. So maybe it's eight times as much cauliflower as potato, but it's the most delicious tasting mashed potato you ever tasted. I'm not against people who are healthy eating a little bit of potato or having some potato in their diet. I don't want them to have a potato-based diet, and I don't want yeah. them to have a rice-based diet either. The right. rice is too contaminated with arsenic today, and white rice is too glycemic, and brown rice is too contaminated usually. I want them to get a variety of plants, and I mean, my, my more favorite whole grain would be quinoa or other grains, but I think quinoa is a terrific grain to eat. Um, and it's better to have more variety of starchy things, parsnips, you know, tu- turnips, um, rutabaga, you know, squashes, winter squashes, pumpkin. It's better to have a, a, a peas, carrots, beets. There's a whole bunch of healthy foods out there we can eat. We don't want our diet to be narrowly focused on one food. We want a variety of plant foods in our diet to maximize our health. And that's what I advocate. And if you're eating, if you're in good health and you're eating a variety of plant foods and you have a little potato in there, that's fine. You follow uh, me? I do indeed. But what about, Dr. Furman, these, these mystery illnesses? You know, people go into their doctor and they've got all kinds of symptoms and the doctor can't come up with anything or else they get these varied diagnoses of various autoimmune things, and you've got like young women dealing with digestive disorders and fibroid tumors and polycystic ovarian syndrome and anxiety and depression. Is it the same advice for all of this stuff? Pretty much. I mean, you know, I hear you because what we're saying here is that People think the diagnosis is everything. Oh, the doctors can't diagnose my condition. What is it? You know, you have a mixed connective tissue disease. You have an, you have an autoimmune condition that's too early on to, to fit a category of, of lupus or scleroderma or Sjogren's syndrome or psoriasis because it's not that sick yet, but you still have a disease process that's autoimmune phenomenon. And it's still the basic, you still got to build up your immune system and fix your T cells and your T suppressor cells. In other words, this can help you. And especially when, you know, certain people have, you know, body aches and pains like a fibromyalgia condition, which we get tremendous response with daily headache syndromes. And what you're saying is that, yes, this approach is extremely effective. And that's when people say to me, you know, what's the last thing we should leave with? What do we forget to ask you? And I'm saying it's not just about preventing cancer and it's about reversing disease and autoimmune diseases are flooding our, our our population of young people. And they have to live a life on, on cancer-causing chemotherapeutic agents just to feel okay. All my son's friends are taking drugs for their, their autoimmune phenomenons. It's, you know, and more kids are being depressed. And, and so, yes, I'm in a perfect, you know, way that nutritional excellence is therapeutic and enables people to get well. And what we're offering here is people hope and the ability to control their health destiny and get rid of having the need to take these medications and be going to doctors back and forth. Who wants to live the life going to doctors, getting pills and taking drugs and looking for diagnosis and getting tested? No, we'd rather go to San Diego and eat great food and be happy and have fun. Dr. Furman, you were amazing 30 years ago. You are even more amazing now. Thank you so much for being on our program today. Thanks to Unity Online Radio and to everyone listening. Be blessed, be happy, be healthy, be vegan. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.